Well, good morning to everyone. I'm surprised so many of you are here. I guess you knew we had air conditioning. Oh, air conditioning is a good thing. Uh, usually we don't need it up here. And especially if you're over probably 60, uh, you've resisted air conditioning because you were tough and you never needed it, right? And uh, the rest of us are all a little wimpy and we get air conditioners. And uh, the house that I happen to live in, it had air conditioning in it when I bought it. And uh, didn't think I'd hardly ever need it, but I can tell you yesterday I did. And uh, oh, amazing what happens when you come into a cool house. And I mean the church and I mean the presence of God. Uh, there is no condemnation in this house. And we're gonna talk about that in a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no condemnation here. You, Jesus, your work on the cross was complete. It was finished. You said it. Last words, it is finished. And many of us, God, we feel so unworthy. We feel so ashamed. Uh, we've gone through a lot of soul wounds. We've gone through a lot of hurt. Uh, we, we just feel confused. And my prayer this morning is that you would bring that confusion, that shame, and you would just melt it away. And we would feel your grace and your peace. And so, Father, would you just anoint the message, anoint the words, and may it be your words, your presence, your power. Oh, God, I open myself up to you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So just before we get going on the message, I needed to let you know that we, uh, aren't, we are hosting a Global Leadership Summit on site here again. And Global Leadership Summit is a Christian leadership uh, summit or, or course or seminar. Happens on a Thursday and Friday. And I began to attend Global Leadership Summit 19 years ago. I did the math. And I can tell you as, well, I, 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 I'd almost be a young pastor back then. Uh, it was a breath of fresh air and a light for me. And so if you're a leader or even if you're just leading your family, I encourage you to come out. Uh, we do have a little bit of an early bird deadline, and it ends in two weeks, and so uh, it's $99. I think it jumps to 139 So uh, just let us know if you would like to attend the Global Leadership Summit. So I wanted to start off, and I've used this word before, but I know it's not a common word, so I'll try to explain as best I can. And the word I want to start off with is the word presuppositions. And uh, if you have uh, uh, done any reading, even in the news, or uh, any reading, uh, just you know the kind of things that try to help us get over where we're at and become what we should be in Christ, uh, a lot of people use the word presuppositions, but uh, presuppositions are kind of those kind of core thoughts that we have, those things that we believe are true, and those presuppositions really um, lead us, guide us. They can be our foundation, but sometimes our presuppositions can be based upon, uh, well, let's say you grew up in an abusive home, and especially if the abuser was a man, you're going to have a presupposition that you maybe can't trust men. 
especially if you were abused by more than one man. Now, we can flip that over to a female. Maybe it was your mom that was abusive. And there was other women in your life who were abusive. So you will believe that no women can ever be trusted. It's a, it's a core belief and a core uh, thinking that kind of influenced. Some people call it glasses, colored glasses. And we all walk around with colored glasses from our experiences, from what we were told. I know when we went through soul care, Doug talked quite a bit about how a lot of us in Western Canada, we have parents or great-grandparents that had PTSD. Now, you know, PTSD, that's not... Well, post-traumatic stress disorder is when you go through a super-traumatic event, and it could be, especially if it's an ongoing traumatic event, it can really set up a presupposition in your soul. Now, those who were in Europe during all those war years, we're talking from the 1800s right through to 1945, there is a lot of people that went through really difficult war times, starvation, uh, their home bombed, uh, relatives taken out in the middle of the night, all sorts of stuff. That develops these ideas and thoughts in our heads, and it, it creates in many of us a bit of a fear of things, and those presuppositions get reinforced along the years. Now, I told you one that I was struggling with was claustrophobia. And just to let you know, when I was a little kid, I used to crawl in culverts, little tiny ones. And sometimes I'd even get stuck. I was okay with small spaces. But then I was in that plane crash and I got stuffed in a helicopter on a stretcher, strapped in. I was really hurting and it set up a presupposition in my soul that said, don't ever be in a tight space where you can't move again, because you're gonna die. I mean, I felt like I was gonna die in that, so it really got in my soul. And I've gone through a little bit of a soul healing stuff in the last number of years, and uh, the proof of the pudding was my wife and I flew to Florida two years ago, and she was so surprised how I wasn't freaked out. You see, my presupposition used to say, I gotta get out of this plane. Oh, and this part in the plane just really drove me crazy right after the plane landed and everybody stood up to get their luggage, the place would look clogged and packed. I'd be just, if you asked my wife, I'd be like, under my breath, come on, get your luggage. It doesn't take you that long to get your luggage. I need to get out of here. And I wasn't acting like that last time I flew. That presupposition got broke down. I just wanted to bring that kind of presupposition thought up to say, as we go into 2 Corinthians, we're gonna do the series over summer. The Bible is so important so that your presuppositions get well-founded and corrected and healed. It is so important. I have spent my life reading the Bible and I am still getting my presuppositions sometimes made new and some of my presuppositions like claustrophobia or other stuff has been debunked and healed. And I have seen, especially when we get into pressure cooker situations like the last year, our presuppositions come bubbling to the top. And one of your presuppositions might have been, nobody's gonna control me. One of your presuppositions, whatever that comes from, one of your presuppositions is, uh, I've almost died from the flu and I'm not gonna, you know, you, we have these things that get into our souls. And I wanna say to you, we need to get into the word of God. We need to be studying it. The primary way God will speak to you is through the word of God. And as we go through 2 Corinthians, my prayer is 
that your presuppositions will be corrected. They will be fixed. And uh, I think it's going to be exciting and cool and really fun to continue and go through that. The truth is we are a very complex people. We are the sum of a lot of our experiences and our hurts and our upbringings. Our fears, for example, really influence us. (coughs) Oh, I love allergies. It wasn't a COVID cough. Don't worry. Oh, by the way, we don't have to wear masks next Sunday. You can still. I, I am, I'm going on holidays to go visit my uh, daughter and my mother-in-law and stuff, but I would love to be here next Sunday to not see the worship team wearing the mask. It'll be so exciting. Anyway, but if you still want to wear a mask, don't feel ashamed. You can keep wearing them. We will get over our presuppositions so that you can be free. The Bible is God's correcting influence into the lies, fears, and half-truths that drive our fallen nature. That's our old way. That's the, the Christ who, who, or the person who wasn't in Christ yet. And, and maybe your family lineage has a history of who knows what it is, and sometimes we don't even know what kind of drives the way our family thinks. I mean, it's a lost story. It's lost to us. We don't know why there's this kind of uh, fear. Now, just to say, my wife's mom grew up as a, uh, she was a Baptist preacher's kid. And especially back in that day, uh, preacher's kids better behave. And uh, you had to be perfect. Your house had to be perfect. Your lawn had to be perfect. Your car had to be perfect. And your children had to be perfect. So my, my mother-in-law grew up in this. She gets really, if somebody was coming over to her house when my wife was growing up, she got really uptight and anxious. She would be cleaning the specks of dust and everything. That got passed on to my wife a little bit. Now it's a couple generations away. You see what I'm talking about? We need to get free of our presuppositions that are holding us back. We need to have them revealed, and I want to tell you that the Word of God is an incredible force to uh, reveal what's going on in your head and to correct what's going on in your head. And then, if, when you add to that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is inside of you, it is incredible. And so I have been, especially the last few Sundays, really saying, and, and, I'm, and, and if it's guilt that I'm giving you, I'm trying not to give you guilt, but you need to read your Bibles. You need to be listening to lots of good preaching. And I know many of you do online. Keep it up. But we need to get our presuppositions corrected and fixed. And we are often shocked. And, and here's a clue, by the way. I, I was trying to listen to a video of a friend teaching something. And I was really getting irritated at him. That's usually a clue that there's a presupposition going on. There's some reason why I was irritated. I'm still trying to figure it out, actually, but I I know the signs, I know the symptoms, that there's something in my soul that's not quite right. I'm getting indignant, I'm getting prideful, I'm getting arrogant, whatever it is. Those are usually signs that you have an unhealthy presupposition. So today we begin a journey in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're only going to go through the first two verses because I want to give a little bit of uh, background stuff. But even at that, I'm going to run out of time. I know I am. That clock, it's already going too fast. Stop it, stop it. (laughs) A lifetime of studying the Bible will be honestly a key to godly living. A lifetime of studying the Bible will be a key to godly living. 
And, uh, and again, I hope that whenever you read your Bible, the first thing you do is ask the Holy Spirit to come and be with you. Because again, we've got those presuppositions. We're going to read everything with tainted glasses. And we want to see what the truth is. And believe you me, we in Canada, as evangelicals, have tainted glasses. I'm slowly discovering some of it. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to read us. So a quick overview, and I'm sorry, but about three months ago, my saliva glands quit working. I always hated when people drank when they were preaching. I was so proud that I could get away without it. Now I got the weakness. I have to drink all the time. So Paul wrote this very practical book to address the problems in the tumultuous church in Corinth. And uh, we've gone through 1 Corinthians a few years ago. It was a messed up church. That's why I love the book, uh, because I'm messed up and I love reading about other people messed up. Maybe it makes me feel better, I don't know. And to give instructions in this book, he gives instructions on marriages, on disputes, immorality, public worship, and lawsuits. 2 Corinthians is the second letter we have uh, of Paul's. Now, if you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, uh, he refers to another letter he's written to them. And most uh, people that study this stuff say this isn't the letter, and 1 Corinthians isn't the letter. There's another letter that we seem to have lost. But this is one of two letters that we have that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Uh, Corinth itself was a, uh, it's an interesting city because it was on an isthmus, I can never say that right, in other words a narrow strip of land and one of the things they used to do is they would take uh, ships and they would actually, they didn't have a canal because it was too long but they would roll them on these big logs over onto the other side of it, the isthmus and it would literally cut off uh, a week of travel. Uh, going from one part of the Mediterranean to the other. So it was a port city, so uh, just like any port city of today or any uh, major city with an airport, um, it had all sorts of the newest and latest and cultural influences and cutting-edge stuff and weird stuff, all that kind of stuff. But one thing to know about Corinth, it, it, uh, and, and this has been a problem actually for Bible interpretation for a few years, about 150 years before this letter was written, uh, the Romans, now Corinth at that point was a Greek city with all the Greek thinking. Uh, in fact, they, they had a temple above it on the hill with 5,000 prostitutes. Uh, it was a temple to a goddess. And uh, so that was typical Greek thing. 150 years before this, the Romans came in and totally, and I mean totally, raised the city. Like they, there wasn't a building left, not a stone left. They killed all the men and they sold all, sold all the women and children into slavery. And so for about a hundred years, Corinth did not exist. There really was nobody there, nothing there at all. And about 45 years before this, I gotta get the right Roman guy here, Julius Caesar, he rebuilt the city. And it really totally and completely now you can't ever get rid of all remnants of what the city was. And so at this time, there was still a temple on the hill with 50 prostitutes to this goddess. You know, so some of the people in the area obviously came in and the influence is still there. But for the most part, Corinth at this point was a Roman city. 
in structure, in belief system, in governance. It was now completely and totally a Roman city. Now, the reason I tell you that, for years, I used to look at First and Second Corinthians, especially a lot of the teaching on women, I would interpret it with these 5,000 temple prostitutes on the hill, that they had an unhealthy uh, view of women, and Paul was correcting all that. And it was a few years later, through archaeology and stuff, we began to discover, no, this was just a Roman city, and it really didn't have that influence. So then it kind of changes the way we look at Corinth. So what I say to you is we need to look at the history to understand what is being written to, but the history, I would argue, is not protected like the Word of God is. And generally, when you read the Word of God, the first understanding or reading of the passage is usually the correct one. Although we've got our filters, our presuppositions, so we have to be careful. But a lot of times we start looking at the history and we completely take a verse and make it mean opposite to what it actually does. And we've got to be really careful of history. Now, don't get me wrong, I love history and I think it's important to understand who Paul was writing to, but the person or the city he was writing to was a Roman city, a port city, a really progressive city in bad and good ways. And so that's where he was writing to. Now, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians discusses some of the things previously addressed, but it also deals with some new issues. While 1 Corinthians called for believers to be unified with each other, in this letter, Paul urges the church to be unified with him in his ministry. Paul's opponents, as we read the letter, you'll find this, were undermining his work, claiming that his suffering proved that he was not a true apostle. Now, he was in prison and stuff and going through tough times. He had eyesight problems. Paul responds that his suffering highlights his dependence on Christ as it points to Christ's strength rather than his own. The second thing, Corinthians includes stirring perspectives on gospel ministries. It also has encouragements to holy living and instructions about giving. Oh, you're going to avoid that sermon, right? Paul wrote this letter from Macedonia a year after writing 1 Corinthians in about 56 AD. I, I, I looked and I just happened to come across something Chuck Swindoll had said about the letter. He writes, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, Corinthians at a vulnerable time in his life. He had learned that the church at Corinth was struggling and he sought to take action to preserve the unity of that local body of believers. The letter is riddled with personal comments as Paul revealed details about the persecution he had suffered for the sake of Christ, as well as about a mysterious thorn in the flesh that kept him reliant on God. I look forward to preaching on that, by the way. After sending Timothy off from Ephesus to deliver the letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul, in his concerns for the church, made a quick visit of his own to Corinth. Afterward, Paul returned to his work in Ephesus where he wrote a sorrowful letter to the Corinthians that has not been preserved. We don't know what it says, and you can read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, and verse 7 and 8, or chapter 7 and 8. Paul then departed for Macedonia. Once there, he received a good report from Titus regarding the Corinthians, which led Paul to write a fourth letter to them titled 2 Corinthians in the Bible. The New Believers Commentary, now I'm giving you lots of background. Are you falling asleep yet? I'll take a drink and irritate you a bit. 
Okay, you're nice and awake, or you're thirsty, one or the other. We don't mind if you bring water, by the way, even a coffee, because I might get boring and you need the coffee. New Believers Bible Commentator states about 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul makes a claim in this letter of reconciliation that Christian ministry is a matter of a person's right relationship on two indivisible fronts. Number one, a right relationship to Jesus Christ. And number two, a right relationship of Christians to each other in an ordered community of life and faith. So I read that statement, and I honestly, my first thought was, okay, it's about reconciling with God, and it's also about our relationship with each other. And I went, oh, is that really what it's about? Oh, come on, could it be? And in my devotions, and every week I tell you about my devotions, and there's a reason I do it. I want you to understand, I'm not telling you my devotions. I hope you're picking up that I'm an idiot like anybody else. And but by the grace of God and his leading, I would just be a mess. I'd be offending people. I mean, I have enough trouble with that, but I'd really have a problem. So when I tell these stories, I'm doing it to say that anybody can listen to God, read his word, get direction. So this week, reading this passage, <coughs> I'm sitting there going, hmm, is, is the Bible really about each other? Is it all about Christians reconciling or Christians getting along? And right there, when I say that, you probably have 100 verses pop in your head. But in my devotions, I'm reading in Matthew chapter 5, and I read this passage. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And listen to this. So that's all about, you know, forgive us as we need forgiving. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's that flip. Forgive us and then we're going to forgive others. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And then it goes on to say, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. You see how they're connected together? You see how getting along with each other is connected with our getting along and reconciled to God? Do you see how the reconciliation we have with God, the filling of the Holy Spirit, should flow into us getting along with each other. Now, don't get me wrong. If somebody's abusing you, you don't have to stay in the abusive situation. You do need to forgive them. And then there's a second component, the trust, that can take some while and, and different things like that. But it's really important to understand that over and over in the gospel, we are reconciled to God. And I have seen and I have experienced a lot of Christians that believe they can just stay at home. Because they've had a lot of soul wounds, they've had a lot of Christians, well-meaning sometimes, hurt them. And so they just go, okay, I'm okay with God, but I'm not okay with other people. I have too many hurts. I don't trust anybody. And you might have some really valid reasons, and for that I apologize. But Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
We're going to talk about that peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There is a direct tie, and we're going to go through that in 2 Corinthians, between reconciled with God and reconciled with each other. The book of 1 John chapter 4 puts it this way. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Uh Uh-oh, that connection again. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This isn't a sense of, yeah, I prayed the sinner's prayer. This is a, I actually spend time walking with God in the garden in the evening. I actually spend time in the Word and I actually ask God questions about what's going on in my life. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So if you're struggling with being at church, you're struggling with some of the people in this room, spend some time with Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit reveal things to you that you've never understood. And I want to say, this understanding, that's why almost every book written in the New Testament speaks harshly against being or talking divisively, being dissentious, gossip, being vengeful, and disrespecting leaders, whether in the church or outside the church. As we go through this book, you will see the very practical themes of unity and love, both with God and with each other. So let's get into the text. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, that was an interesting sound to talk into a bottle. We're going to understand right off the bat that God's will, God's church, and God's holy people are a presupposition that you have to have just to read the book. And the Apostle Paul will often do that. That's why we we often have so many things that we start churches with at the beginning or at the very end. Paul will often, or whoever's writing the book will say something at the end. It's kind of foundational truths. And right in verse one he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, you know, and you kind of go, when you read the whole book and you go, okay, he's trying to defend his own ministry. So right off the bat, he's laying a presupposition, a foundation. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, listen to this, by the will of God, by the will of God, in other words, um, when, when you think about the will of God, are you aware even being in church or watching us on, online is the will of God? And you're going, no, I came here because my mother made me come. And I'm going, will of God. Or you thought, well, I was just driving by and it looked like it had air conditioning, will of God. Or maybe you're sitting there going, uh, I just came to find out why you guys are so hokey and I'll say will of God. You know, if we don't understand the will of God in our lives and understand how he wants to lead us and guide us and have intimacy with us and love us and forgive us and give us that, take away our shame and and give us a, a robe of righteousness, if we don't get that, We're going to be in trouble even reading the book, and we're going to have lots of issues. And Timothy, our brother, and Timothy, now this wasn't his brother, and and in the 70s it used to be more, if you've been in the church a long time, we used to call each other brother and sister, 
And, and there really is a sense of intimacy for each other. And if you read, for example, uh, Ephesians 4, uh, you'll find out really cl clearly that you won't grow in your faith. You won't grow in your faith without each other. Because you've got presuppositions that need correcting. And my presuppositions are different than your presuppositions. And I have figured some stuff out in the word of God that you and you figure out different stuff. I have certain giftings that God's given me and you have other giftings. And we grow in community together as we reconcile with God and we connect with each other and reconcile with each other, we begin to grow. And I know it gets tough because sometimes we accidentally or intentionally hurt each other. And he goes on, not to just say brother, but to the church of God in Corinth. Now, if you've ever studied the book of First and Second Corinthians, it was the most messed up church. If it was in Grand Prairie, I would recommend you not attend it. It was that bad a church. I mean, they, there was so many stupid, weird things going on in the church and weird belief systems. And, and uh, there's, there's a guy that's sleeping with his, his stepmother and, and they're bragging about it and they're reveling. It, it was just a really bad church. But Paul calls it God's holy church. And this is kind of a foundation. Paul believed the Corinthian church was God's church. Do you know how much pressure that takes off me as a pastor? I'm not saying we don't talk about being a good, healthy church. I'm not saying that we don't bring up those things that we do that are crazy. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, let's always remember whose church it is. It's not Pastor Anthony's church. And if you really knew what I thought of myself, I mean, I'd be quick and easy just to say, okay, I'll, I'll let somebody else pastor the church. Because we need to get somebody that's got a little bit of competence and brains, because I don't have it. But then I remember it's God's holy church. So when you go to criticize the church, always keep that in mind. It's God's holy church. When you go to correct a church, remember it's God's holy church. And I love the last part that he says in verse one. Together with all his holy people. Did you know you're holy? This is where that song really was so pithy was because uh, you can leave your shame at the door. It's not welcome here. You can leave your, your, your hurt and your pain at the door because you're God's holy people. Now, how do we be holy? We're gonna see that in verse two a little bit, but we are holy, number one, and completely because Jesus is holy. And when God forgives us our sins. When the Holy Spirit comes into us, there is a transaction that takes place and it's unbelievable. Ephesians chapter four, and here it comes. Being completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. Before you throw darts, remember it's God's people, God's holy people, God's church. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says, for it is by grace you've been saved. This is why you're holy. And this not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So you might say, well, why does the Bible keep telling us that we have to live a certain way then? 
It's a little bit of semantics, but I live righteously not to be a Christian, but I live righteously because I am a Christian. I know it's semantics, but I do not do what's right and live godly and holy because I'm trying to earn something. But God has made me holy and changed my heart of stone to a heart of flesh so that I need and can live righteously. You get the difference? And so often in the church we become religious and I will tell you that religion will dry you right out. Rule following will dry you out. But when you start living who you are in Christ, it's, it's again freeing, it's easy, it's a path. I mean the person that's trying to be a Christian, they're like, and they're judgmental usually and proud and arrogant like the Pharisees. But the person says, I am holy because God is holy. I am holy because I've been forgiven. I am holy because I've been redeemed. That kind of person can go, huh, you can relax a little. We are God's holy people. And these are foundations in order for the church to thrive and survive, in order for you to thrive and survive. Reading the Bible then is discovering who you are as a chosen Christian and living the new life. And in fact, I would argue if the Holy Spirit is in you, if you've been born again, if you're feeling angst or uneasiness about how you're living, about how you're going along, and you're going, well, I'm doing everything right. Well, maybe you're doing it out of the wrong reason. You think you need to earn your salvation. You can't. Jesus plus nothing. Now, one of our elders has an obsession with saying that all the time, and it's starting to stick in my head. But Jesus plus nothing. You are God's holy people. Before Jesus, we did not have peace with God. We were in turmoil, and our selfish sin nature, we tried desperately to be in control and be happy, right? Anybody remember that journey? either by others admiring us, we thought if, if we could just get some respect or, or getting stuff of pleasure, if I just get a, enough big barns and stuff stored and the nice car. I've noticed one thing about cars is they keep wearing out and breaking down. And I, I, you know, I have my dream Volkswagen Beetle and, and this spring when I got all the mud off it, I noticed it's got some rust spots. You know, moth and rust destroys. And, and nothing in this world will bring you eternal pleasure or interior peace like God can give you. As Christian, as God's holy people, we have a purpose and we have peace with uh, God. Don't ever underestimate that. I've said it before that I have always been shocked when people grow up in the church and they walk away. I'm always absolutely shocked by that. I know many of those people, and I had a good best friend who died in the plane crash. He grew up in a great Baptist church, but for whatever reason, all he saw was religion and rules, and he never saw Jesus. He never understood the principle that he was God's holy people. It was actually under our current president in the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, Pastor Dave, that he first heard about the forgiveness and love of Jesus to forgive his sins. And in fact, I, I was with them when he, because my mother-in-law, long story, she had gone to the church that my friend grew up in, said it was a great church. And then he said to his dad, was a church I grew up in actually good? And his dad, oh yeah, I preach the gospel all the time. And he was shocked. He never could see Jesus because of all the rules and all the demands. 
And a lot of us, we move so quickly into a religious mindset instead of being in Christ and from the inside out flowing and being who we are. Religion, A.W. Tozer wrote this, religion can reform a person's life, but it can never transform life. Only the Holy Spirit can transform. Friends, we are God's holy people and we are being transformed from the inside out, not from the outside. All other religions put on external stuff to make you better and holy. Whereas Christianity says you need more of Jesus. You need to have a relationship with him. You need to be in the word. You need to be in communion and prayer with him. Oh, there we go. I've completely ran out of time, but I still have my final point. I want to talk about grace and peace in verse 2. Have you ever said, why can't I just get a break? Or, I wish someone would cut me some slack. God has given us a break. And he's given us more than a break. He's given us peace. Verse 2 says, grace and peace to you from God. I find it so interesting how those are two tied together in Paul's writing. You see, <coughs> grace and the acronym, you can take God's riches at Christ's expense, whatever way you want to look at. But grace, and, and I kind of looked into the, the Greek word, and it's a Greek word, charis. And, and charis literally means loving kindness, or even a better word, it means grace. Straight up, God has given you something you didn't deserve. He has reached down to you in the person of Jesus. And if you've received that gift, God is a gentleman. He doesn't force anybody to be saved. Uh, he believes in our free will. You want to go and live like you want to live? Go for it. God will let you do that. There are consequences, and death being one of them. But God loves you, and he, in his grace, has saved you and made you God's holy people. And out of this grace comes peace with God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, I, you know, I studied this word peace the entire week, and even this morning in my prayer group that meets for prayer to pray for the service, more sides of peace came out. I mean, peace is just unbelievable. I, I mean, just to have peace in your soul. I mean, all of us, uh, I, I, when I was in high school, I used to lay awake in bed thinking about my whole day, trying to think if I offended anybody. And I always tell you and tease you, and if you're from Fort St. John, I apologize. Well, not really. I'm from Fort St. John. We don't apologize. I'm just joking. But I would worry about, did I say stuff that offended people? Do, do people like me? Especially the girls, I'd be thinking, you know, when I talked to Terry, was, 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 was it good? Like, do you think, I, God, like, was it offensive? And I'd be just wrestling it. I couldn't get to sleep at night worrying about how I'd live. And, and then to understand as a new Christian that God has given me peace. Peace in my soul. And, and that old habit can easily get going, maybe in you and me, but that's where we gotta sit down and go, okay, God, what do you think of me? And I can tell you that if, if you're hearing, so, so last week with the staff, we're, we're having some listening prayer, and we're hearing God, and one of the questions I said to the staff, ask God, as the, as the society opens up, as the pandemic is kinda of going off to the side, 
What, what should we do as a church? And so a common theme the last six months has been be still, be quiet. So I heard that when I was quietly listening. And then all of a sudden I heard, you are such mouthy, arrogant people. You've got to shut up. You, you don't, you, you just, you keep trying to fix things. You keep trying to meddle in. And I, I stopped and I went, that's not God. Because I've read my Bible. I know what grace and peace looks like. I know where no condemnation looks like. And I went, that's not God. I, and I, I literally said in my head, I'm not listening to that. And all of a sudden it was like the clouds parted, the, the red angry voice disappeared, and God looked at me and he said, you guys have been working a plan that I've given you, keep working it. And I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds like God. You see, God has peace for you, and if he ever convicts you of sin, because you're probably going, but what about sin in my life? God will convict me of sin. But it's not in a condemning way. It's in a like, you got sin in your life. It's, it's got consequences. It's not going to go well. And I'm going, okay, sorry, God. And then God goes, well, you're forgiven. Let's move on. Let's operate in my presence and my power and my peace. <laughs> There's so much to understand in the whole idea of God's holy people because of his grace. And in that grace, there's peace. If you don't have peace, I mean, that's the whole point of Philippians chapter four. In view of God's mercies, offer your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart, your mind, and your soul. You see, if you're in angst, if you're struggling, if you're frustrated, take some time. I especially have some good friends that struggle with anxiety, and I will tell you, they spend a lot of time trying to get back to the peace that only God can give them. So now I'm over time a lot and I need to end. The other day I was worrying about my retirement. Whole history there. I've lived in two manses, so uh, one of the things that happens when you live in manses is you don't build up equity in your home. And uh, uh, so that, and I didn't even get to buying a home till quite into my 40s. And uh, so I'm sitting there worrying. I, I woke up in the morning and I'm worrying about, I mean, my retirement is still five, six years away. So I'm worrying about it. How am I going to afford to live? I can't keep up a mortgage with my retirement pension. What am I going to do? <coughs> so I'm sitting in my chair, have my cup of coffee, and my thing is, okay, what about my retirement, God? And I got this sense, uh, you better read the Bible, so... I usually, I had ready, I open up my Bible in my iPad, and, and I kid you not, this, is what, this was actually the next part in my passage. And I told you that I was in Matthew 5, and now I'm in Matthew 6, verse 19. I'd read a bit of stuff, didn't say much to me, but this really hit me between the eyes. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths... And vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'd okay. I mean, how do you argue against that? I ask God, what about my retirement? And God gives me that. And we are so preconditioned with our presuppositions to worry about things like bigger barns and retirements. And God says, quit worrying. 
This is a broken, temporary world. My Volkswagen Beetle is getting rusty, and that's the way it is. A relationship with God, friends, is peace. How could I refute those words that God said to me? God then gave me some good possible things that maybe would work out in the future. And it could have been just my mind, some ideas came to it. But in other words, don't worry. Focus on Jesus. Let the peace come in. Thinking like the world is to worry. Hearing God is peace. Being with God is peace. His grace and his peace. Let me ask you to conclude. Do you really know Jesus? I mean, maybe you prayed the sinner's prayer, but have you been developing and growing in the church with other body of believers in a life group? Or maybe in a discipleship group, we'll have some going this fall. Do you really know Jesus? Do you walk with Jesus? And number two, is your old nature, is your life old nature driven or Holy Spirit driven? And mine can be just as old nature driven like anybody. And then I spend time in prayer, reading the word. I get the presupposition corrected. And then I can go about in a life of peace from the inside out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, (laughs) you are so good. You know exactly where I'm at. You know exactly what's in our hearts. You know exactly the things that are causing us to stay awake at night. You know the things that in this world just are so concerning to us. And many of us come here this morning and we have a lack of peace because we've gone through some serious conflict. We've been mistreated or abused by a boss. We've gone through even worse. I mean, somebody stole stuff from us. Somebody uh, maligned us. Somebody spoke ill of us and it spread around like a fire. Oh God, there's a lot of hurt and pain in the room and I know that. I have a lot of hurt and pain. And God, you are the God of peace. You are the God of love. You are the God of grace. And my prayer today is that if somebody is in turmoil, you would flood their souls with your peace. Your peace surpasses all understanding. Your word is so clear. If, if we're anxious about anything, we're supposed to go to you and talk to you about it. Oh, sometimes we think, oh, we're going to be spiritual. We're not going to bring it up. But oh, God, thank you that I brought up my retirement this week and you spoke to me from your word. And no doubt I'll be worrying about it again next week. That's a cool thing, God. Your word is still always there and you're always waiting to walk with us in the garden in the evening to give us wisdom, to give us insight, to give us grace and to give us peace. And so, God, would you give us that now today? In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.